Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. But it's a joy to be with you tonight. We're going to be in 2 Samuel for our Bible study. So if you have your Bible and you want to open to 2 Samuel chapter 19, you can do that. If you want to follow along and you don't have a Bible for whatever reason, you'll see the guys right now with Bibles in their hands. Just get their attention and they'll pass one off to you. About that far into the Bible, you'll find 2 Samuel chapter 19. You guys hungry tonight? Good, because I've got way more food tonight for you than uh, I can probably possibly stuff you with, and it's not going to keep for next week. I I know that for a fact. So uh, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through three chapters, and I'm going to get you out of here on time, Um, but that means I'm going to have to do something that some of you don't like, and probably for some of what we go through tonight, I'm going to summarize some of it and tell you to go back and read the details, Uh, and I'm just going to have to. I I don't plan on it. I want to read as much of it as I can. Um, but, uh, but, you know, like it's the preacher-teacher dilemma, right? That there is content um, prepared from the passages that are here, but there's a whole Bible worth of, of content, and I can't go too slow, you know, and it's just how fat, you know, you get, you get it, you know, so uh, this, is, this is the struggle. So tonight we're going to do 19, 20, and 21, uh, Lord willing, and so why don't we just pray right now one more time and just ask God to uh, prepare our hearts for what he wants to speak to us through it, because he speaks through it constantly. So Father, we, we thank you tonight for your truth and for your word and for your presence and your Holy Spirit that is the one that carves it out in such a way that we can receive of it and apply it to our lives uniquely and individually. And so I'm asking now, God, that you would pick up with your still small voice where uh, my, my audible voice can't reach and that you would touch our hearts, that you'd speak to us tonight, that you would feed us, Lord. So uh, fill us now, Father, and prepare us for what you want to say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When I was growing up outside of Rochester, New York, on holidays and from time to time, we would visit my maternal grandmother who lived outside of Buffalo. And so, you know, she was the A grandmother. You know how every, every fit, there's always an A grandmother and a B grandmother and, you know, the one that you like a little bit more. And she was the A grandmother and we loved going to her house. My mom was one of seven, so there was always uh, cousins and, and people and it was just fun going to grandma's, but we didn't go that often because it was a little bit further away. Um, but we would go and she had like a decades old, uh, decades long or big collection of old Reader's Digest magazines. And, and when there was a lull in the activity, I, I enjoyed nothing more than to, to sift through and find the jokes. Am I the only one? You know, you'd go through and at the end of every article, there was like this little section at the bottom where there'd be a little true story. I see all the gray hairs smiling. Everybody else is like, what is he talking about? You know, but I used to love going through and reading that. But there was one time there was an article, even as a, as a, as a kid, that caught my attention. Um, and, and it was called Raising Kids That Are Leaders. And I just remember, like, be, for some reason, just being drawn to, to, to that title. And I read it. It wasn't very long, but uh, it just spoke about how, as parents, you know, we have no greater desire than our kids are raised up to be leaders. And it really praised that quality in a human being, that someone has uh, confidence and self-awareness and they're not impressionable and, and that they lead, that they're not 
swayed very easily. And, and I just remember reading that. And, and all throughout life, there's always like this, this, this praise towards people that are leaders. You know, every, whenever you hear about a leader, it's always in the positive light. You know, so, you know, leaders get honor and they're acclaimed and, you know, leaders are rewarded for their leadership. And, you know, every, everything, every award that's given in some way has the word leader or leadership in it. You know, excellence in leadership, you know, and all this stuff. And, and so we love leaders. And as parents, we want our kids to be leaders. And there's this drive towards leadership. And even, even God likes leaders, you know, because he said of his people, I think it's Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28, it's going to come up on the screen, I think it's right around verse 13 or something like that. But God said uh, of his people, he said that the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, you'll be above only, you will not be beneath. And, and the, 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 the implication of that is that God makes his people leaders, that even God likes leadership. And I think that every single one of us in here, that if we could kind of choose that quality, do we want to be a leader or do we want to be a follower? You know, we would all in in some area say we want to be leaders. And the reality is that at some point in every one of our lives, we're going to be leaders, whether it's on a small scale or a large scale, whether it's just in our families or in a relationship with with a, a spouse or, you know, whether we're in an organization or in a church or whether it's something larger and we're the boss or over a, a sector of a company or if it's political, we're all in some respect going to be leaders and we want to do that and we want to do it well. We want to be equipped for it. And, and we're attracted to that. You know, we use words for leaders like president and captain and first chair and boss and manager and coach and owner or pastor. And that piques our interest because we, we want to be good leaders. We like good leaders. And we also like to smear bad leaders. <laughs> you know? So leadership is just an important part of life. All right. Now, to be a leader has advantages because as a leader, you make people better. You build people's lives. You make an impact in different people's lives. You help people. You get credit for that. You bring stability to whatever it is that you're leading in direction. You have the opportunity to shape culture. You have the satisfaction of seeing something take shape and actually go somewhere. And that's good. We want to do that. We want to make a difference with our life. And we would all say, sign me up for that. But I was once taught that when everyone says something and then they say, but just forget about everything they said before that, because what really matters is what comes after that. But there's another side of leadership. There's a side that isn't so attractive. There's a side of leadership that once you see it and taste it, what you once declared to say, sign me up, now you say, get me out. <laughs> okay? Because it's not all Tom Brady holding up the Lombardi trophy. It's not all honor and re- rewards and good. There are parts of leadership that come with the good that are inseparable from the good that you cannot avoid. And if you don't understand that, then you'll get into a place of leadership and you'll run from it when maybe it isn't time to run from it. It's just part of it and we need to be equipped for it and prepared for it. 
Do you remember way back when we began seeing David become the king? And it was so glorious. You know, he just had victory after victory. And there's a verse that said of David, it said that whatsoever the king did, it pleased the people. Do you remember that? And we're like, yeah, Lord, do that in my life, that whatever I do just pleases everybody. Well, guess what? That doesn't last. <laughs> and where we get to David now, kind of on the backside of his tenure, of his ministry, of his kingship, we're going to see that not everything for David is going to be so easy from here on out. In fact, we have three chapters now where we see David in his leadership having to do things and deal with things and face things that nobody wants to deal with. But yet you can't be a leader and not face and deal with those things. So what I'm going to give you tonight in, in this three-chapter text that we have before us is I'm going to give you seven rules, if you would, seven facts, seven warnings, seven truths about leadership, the dark side. And the, the title of tonight's message is Tales from the Leader Crypt. Okay, because, because what we see in David, we're going to look at this and we say, oh, maybe I'm not so sure that I want to be a leader, you know, but we're going to find out that, that David handles it. He's equipped to handle it. He knows how to handle it. So uh, seven rules, whatever you, however you want to put it in your notes uh, that show the other side of the leadership coin. We're going to begin in chapter 19. And if you're taking notes, the first one, the first rule is leader lead first, feel later. Hey, leader, lead first, feel later. Everybody say it. Hey, leader, lead first, feel later. All right, let's read chapter 19. I'm going to begin in verse one. It says that it was told Joab, behold, the king weeps and mourns for Absalom. Okay, so just a little bit of context. David has just lost another one of his sons. His son Absalom launched a rebellion. He tried to take David's position, take David's place. And in that rebellion, there was a battle and Absalom was killed. All right. David was protected. David, his servants fought for him. Stability was restored when Absalom died. But somehow David was hoping that Absalom would survive and that somehow he could have both stability in his kingdom and not lose his son Absalom. And that didn't happen. Absalom was killed in the battle by Joab, David's trusted general. And now it says that David is weeping and mourning and Joab finds out about it. And so verse two tells us, it says that the victory that day was turned into mourning or sadness unto all the people, for the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And so the people got them by stealth that day into the city as people being ashamed sneak away when they flee in battle. And the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son. Okay, so David weeps because Absalom is dead, but the people that are with David want to rejoice because the rebellion has been quenched and they can go back to their normal lives. 
And so the message that David sends in his weeping sows confusion in the minds and in the hearts of his people, his men, because what they were just fighting for, they've achieved, but yet David, whom they were fighting for, doesn't seem happy. And so there's this thing inside of them where they're going like, well, we feel like rejoicing, but we feel like we're going to get in trouble if we do. And so rather than triumphantly entering back into their city and their homes, they sneak shamefully into their cities and homes, and they don't know what they're supposed to feel. The leader is sending a mixed message because of his emotions, which are okay, but the people don't know what they are, where they are, or what they're to do, and that's not okay. And so David is feeling something, but he's allowing his feelings to overrule his calling, his place, and it's causing problems within his people. Now, Joab finds out about it, and it says in verse 5 that Joab came into the house to the king, and he said, you have shamed this day the faces of all your servants, which this day have saved your life in the lives of your sons and of your daughters and the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. In that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared this day that you regard neither princes nor servants. For this day, I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it would have pleased you well. Now, listen, Joab is not gentle. I had a friend one time who, who used this phrase. He said that they're as gentle as a fist. And that was Absalom, I mean, uh, Joab. Joab was as gentle as a fist, but Joab is right. Because he's coming to David and he's giving him the perspective that he needs at this moment to understand what is going on in the big picture. David can't see past losing his son. But Joab is seeing the big picture and he's saying, listen, what you're doing right now is going to cause a lot of problems. Now, I think we've all been there. And if you haven't been there, at some point you'll be there. Because if you have more than one child or you have more than one person that's watching your life, and one of the people that are watching your life does something that tears your heart out. That has a tendency to affect the way we deal with the other people that are watching us and that we are leading in our lives. If you have one child that is just on the brink of needing to be kicked out of your house, and it is affecting what you're able then to give to your other kids, then you need to check yourself because your other kids still need you. They're still growing. They're still looking to you. And, and the way that you handle them is going to be important later on, okay? And, and that's what's going on with David here. And, and so David gives, uh, gets this, this, this rough thing from Joab. And Joab essentially says to David, he says, what you're doing right now is going to cause more problems for you than if Absalom had won the battle. And so he says to him, listen, get up, wipe your eyes, do your job. Get on the throne and let these people know that you're with them. Encourage them, build them up. And he's right. Because there are times where your calling is greater than your personal concerns when you're a leader. David hears it. Verse 8, it says, Then the king arose, and he sat in the gate, and they told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king does sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. And the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, 
The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? What's it saying? It's saying that Joab was right. The people are confused. They're debating. They're arguing. They're saying, well, what do we do now? We anointed Absalom. Absalom's dead. Should we bring David back? Is David even in his place? David is in his place. The insecurity, the instability, the division, David now back on the throne. And so in verse 11, it says this. It says that King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests saying, speak unto the elders of Judah, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Seeing the speech of all Israel is come to the king, even to his house. David does this. He gets on his throne. He's actually not in Jerusalem yet, but he he gets on his throne where he is outside of Jerusalem, preparing to go back to Jerusalem. And he calls for the priests. And he says, listen, you guys, tell the elders of Judah that I'm back, that I'm okay, that I put on my robe, that I put on my crown, that I'm done weeping and mourning over Absalom, and that we're going to move forward. Things are going to happen now. And then David says this, listen, I have heard rumors that all of the elders of Israel are already prepared to bring me back. So why is it that the elders of Judah have yet to make a move to do it. Now, for those of you that are confused right now, Judah, Israel, what's going on? There were 12 tribes that made up the one nation. And the tribe of Judah was David's tribe. It was his family. It was the tribe that God chose to be the king over the entirety of the nation. The other 10 tribes, which are called Israel, were not of David's family. And so there was always this division. There was always this kind of racial divide, in a sense, between the family of Judah, the royal line, and the rest of the 10 tribes, which made up Israel. The Levites, that was the 12th tribe, being excluded, they were universal. They were the priests, okay? So what David is saying is, listen, you guys from Judah, you should have already made the move. I'm your family. But Israel has gone in front of you. So I'm back in my place, you get in your place, and let's move on. That's what David said, that's what needs to happen. And so David gives this word, all right? Then he says in verse uh, 12, he says, For you are my brethren, my bones and my flesh, wherefore then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, If you be not captain of the host before me continually in the place of Joab. Okay, now again, follow. Remember, when Absalom rebelled against David, he put Amasa in charge of the military. Joab was David's man who was in charge of the military under David. But David is fed up with Joab And so David says to Amasa, who had been with Absalom, he says, hey, you're going to be the general now, and I'm putting Joab out of a job. Now, if you've been following with us through the life of David, you already can get an idea what kind of a man Joab is 
and what's probable, this is not going to be good, okay? But for David, there's some political wisdom in it. Because David is saying to the people, hey, I know you guys wanted some things to change, which is why you followed Absalom. And so I'm going to listen to you. And some of the things that you wanted, I'm going to put into policy, put into practice. And so Amasa, you're in, and Joab, he's going to be out. We're going to turn over a new leaf. We're going to do a few things differently around here. And when the people heard that, it says in verse 14, that he bowed or swayed the heart of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word unto the king return thou in all your servants. When they heard David say, okay, I'm a leader and I'm going to lead and this is what they're going to do. The people unified and rallied under that and said, okay, we're ready to follow. We're going to bring you back. So the king returned and he came to Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to go meet the king and to conduct the king over uh, Judah. Okay, so what David needed to do at this season of his life is he needed to shelve his emotions that he was rightly feeling over his son and re-embrace his place in the calling that God had given to him. And understand this, this is so important as it pertains to leadership, is that if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a boss, if you're a pastor, Whatever you are, whatever your sphere of leadership is, even if you're just a leader in a group of friends, understand this, that as a leader, you are not raising followers, you are raising leaders. That's God's intention. That's why God wants leaders, because leaders make other leaders. And why is that important? Because the people that are following you and becoming leaders behind you they're going to lead like you lead. Do you understand? And if you are a person who is constantly being shipwrecked by emotional difficulties that happen to you, then the people that are coming up behind you are going to do the same thing when they have setbacks and problems in their life. Think about it in the context of raising your kids. We all, as parents, moms and dads, we have setbacks. Or am I alone? You know, we have financial setbacks. Things happen. We have relationship setbacks. Things happen. And we have to continue in the other areas of our life, even when there are emotional setbacks in our own. And it's important that we handle that correctly because one day our kids are going to have setbacks in their life and we are their example as to how they're going to either thrive or fail when those days come. And so it's essential for us that we learn the discipline and the lesson of, in a way, compartmentalizing our personal feelings from our responsibilities as leaders, in whatever context that is. David needed to be slapped, and he said, yes, you're right, I'm sorry, and he got up, and he put his robe back on, and he said, we've got to move forward. Yes, it hurts, but I'm going to lead through the pain, okay? Jesus was a remarkable example of this. When Jesus was at the, the Last Supper, and he was there with the 12, and Judas was still there, and, and Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, but the Psalms 
paint a picture for us of what that was like for Jesus. Because there's a psalm, prophetically speaking of that moment, where concerning Jesus, it said that Jesus in his heart was thinking, this was my friend. This was the one who dipped with me. This was the one, this wasn't just some stranger, an enemy. This was someone who had sweet counsel with me. And he betrayed me. And it explains the emotion that was going on. And Jesus looked at Judas, knowing what was in his heart and what he was going to do. And he said, what you do, do quickly. And, and it says that Satan entered Judas and Judas left. And it said that Jesus, at that point, he knew there was a grief that came over him. But in that moment where he knew what was about to happen, he was about to go to the cross. You can read it in John chapter 13. It said, knowing where he was from, where he was going, and everything that was about to happen. It says that he stood up in the midst of the rest that were there, and he took off the robe that he was wearing, he girded himself with a towel, and he went around the room, and he began to wash their feet, one by one. And he began to talk to them about what would be in their future. And began to talk to them about his relationship with them and how much he loved them and how he was going to give his Holy Spirit to them and how they had a mission and that they were going to follow in his footsteps and there was an entire future that was in front of them. In the moment where he was grieving the most, he held his place of responsibility for the life of someone else. And that is an important lesson that we must understand is that we do not have the right to buckle under our emotions when we have responsibility for someone else in our life. And God will give us the power to do this. If you're a leader, you lead first and you feel later. Rule number two, we begin in verse 16. It's this, that fools rush in, okay? <laughs> in, in other words, yeah, you have to deal with those people, okay? <laughs> Look at verse 16. It says, and Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Bahurim, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Now, just in case you forgot who Shimei is or you weren't here for the study and you don't know, when Absalom first came in and David first went out, there was a man named Shimei, this same Shimei, who was a descendant of King Saul. And as David was leaving Jerusalem, Shimei was following on a valley across the way, throwing rocks and cursing David as he went, calling him a murderer, insulting him in every way and fashion imaginable, just saying horrible things continually, kicking up dust and throwing rocks and just cursing David constantly for it. And, and, and David's men even said, should we just go kill that guy? And David's like, no, maybe God put it in his heart to curse, you know, whatever God. So, so, so this guy just cursing, cursing, cursing. Well, now David's coming back and David is the king and David is in full power and in full authority. And so Shimei goes, uh-oh, I got a problem. So it says that he came down to meet King David, and it says that there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. He calls all his friends. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and 20 servants with him, and they went over Jordan before the king. And there went over a ferry boat to carry the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan and said unto the king, let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember 
that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord, the King went out of Jerusalem, that the King should take it to heart. He's like, you don't take that to heart. You know, that was just, you know, let bygones be bygones. You know, we're like poker buddies. And, you know, sometimes you say something and I had a few too many and it's really, it's just don't take it to heart. For your servant, verse 20, does know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? That's the key word this day, because Shimei is going to lose his life, but it will happen later. For do I not, or do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? David's like, I'm secure in my position. I don't need, need to, to put this, this voice out. Therefore, the king said unto Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swear unto him. And, and, and certainly David will keep that promise. David will not kill uh, Shimei because uh, of what he did. Okay, so fool, here's this first man who is a fool. When we first saw uh, this man, Shimei, we talked about him as a man who was quick to pass judgment. He, he looked at a situation, and he didn't have all the facts concerning that situation, and he immediately jumped to the conclusion that he wanted to bring his point of view to, and he treated David, and he treated the situation according to that rather than the facts. And what we see in this is that this man is what the Bible would call a fool. He's a fool. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says this concerning a fool. It says that a fool, and it should go up on the screen, hopefully, maybe. It says Proverbs 29, uh, verse 11 uh, on the screen. It says that a fool speaketh all of his heart or reveals all that's in his heart. But a wise man, in contrast to that, holds it in until after. That's a great verse. That a fool speaks all what's in his mind, what's in his heart, but a wise person holds it until after. In other words, a fool doesn't have all the facts, but makes a conclusion or a declaration about something and comes out with it. A wise person hears a declaration, sees something happen, and the wise person says, I'm going to take a step back and I'm not going to react to what I'm seeing or thinking. I'm going to respond rightly when I have all the facts. And a wise person judges according to facts, not feelings. People that react judge according to their emotions according to how something makes them feel. And and here's the life skill that every one of us needs to learn, that every human should learn, and pray God someday maybe all of humanity will do this, is that we need to learn to respond and not react. We need to follow facts concerning things, not feelings concerning things. And if you don't have the facts, all the facts about something, then stay still and wait. Okay. If you see something, if you hear something about anything, wait until you have all the facts. Say to yourself, I'm going to step back and I'm going to watch how this turns out. And it doesn't matter what it is. 
Okay? It can be an election. It can be an edict that comes from government. It can be a mandate. It can be a news report. It can be a thread that comes across your social media, a tweet from someone. It could be something that you hear from your friend who calls you on the phone or sends you a text message and say, hey, this is what's about to happen, all right? Don't react, respond rightly, say, I'm gonna wait until I have all of the facts because here's what happens. When you react emotionally to something without all the facts, you usually have to backtrack later on. That's what happened to Shimei, right? He moved too quick, and then he had to backtrack. Here's the proper thing to do when you hear or see or something happens. It's you say, Lord, how should I respond to this? Now, that's our least favorite way to handle information, isn't it? And you know why? Because we intuitively already know what God is going to say. He's going to say, sit back and relax and wait. And we go, I don't want to. I'm angry. I don't like it. And I want to say something. And I want to stand somewhere. And I can't just. And God says, chill and wait. Wait until you fully understand what's going on. Because if you don't fully know what's going on, you're going to say things that are going to tarnish your credibility. So just wait until you fully understand the thing, then I'm going to give you. Here's my answer, God says. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will, that's a promise, direct your paths. That didn't go up on the screen, did it? But you can write it down. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Here's another one. Psalm chapter 23. It's the famous shepherd psalm, right? What does it say? It says that he leads us beside still waters. There's a whole psalm right there full of things that God promises that he's going to do as the one who leads his people. Isaiah chapter uh, 31. It says that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll walk and not be, they'll run and not faint. Psalm 46, it says, be still and know that I am God. We know that all these things are true, but we don't like it because we want to react to things, okay? But here is the promise of God. God's promise is this. He says in the book of Romans, he says that if God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says that he who spared not his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how much more will he not now with him freely give us all things? The Bible says he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The Bible says blessed is the man or the woman that makes the Lord his trust or her trust. The Bible says that his pathway, listen to this, it's Psalm 77 verse 19. It says that his pathway is in the waters. Think about that. His pathway is in the waters. Anybody ever try to follow a trail in the ocean? You can't follow a trail in the ocean. You can't look behind you and see how you got where you are. You can't look down and figure out where you are. And you can't look in front and figure out where you're going. And God says, that's the way I move. Which means that if you want 
to be protected and kept, then you're going to have to trust me because you're never going to be able to figure it all out. And we live in a world right now that's so flipped upside down and where there absolutely is no possible way that you can discern and determine fact from fiction and what's true and what's not and what's just noise and what's really going on. That if we don't come to a place where we settle it, that he sees what we can't and can do what we can't, then we're going to be all over the place and we're going to be reacting to every single thing we see and hear. And we're going to be a ball of fear and anxiety for nothing. Because he's the God that opens the Red Sea. He's the God that makes a way where there is no way. And only he can do it. And he put his promise upon his people that he will protect and preserve and yet prosper in spite of the things that we're seeing and hearing going on around us. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Don't react, respond. Amen? Amen. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. David, Mephibosheth. Now, here comes the next fool, verse 24. It says that Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until he came again in peace. And it came to pass that when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? In other words, hey, Mephibosheth, you were eating at my table, you were at my house, how come you didn't follow with me when I was in exile? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. That was Ziba. For your servant said, that's me, or he said to me, I will saddle me an ass or a donkey that I may ride thereon and go to the king because your servant, that's me, is lame. In other words, Mephibosheth, who's crippled, says to David, he says, listen, Ziba, who is supposed to be my servant, lied to me and said, I'm going to go with David and represent us both. But when he got to you, he slandered me and said that I was following after Absalom, which was not true, but I couldn't defend myself because I'm crippled. And so verse 26, he goes on to explain, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. Or I read that, sorry, verse 27. And so he slandered your servant unto my Lord, the king, but my Lord, the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in your eyes. In other words, I can't prove it, but this is what happened. So you judge, you decide. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at your own table. What right, therefore, have I yet to cry any more unto the king? You've already done more for me than what I deserve or what I could ask for. So I'm asking you for nothing. I'm just telling you my story. And so the king said unto him, verse 29, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. In other words, David says, look, I'm never going to know what's the actual truth in this whole thing. He says, but what it looks like and what it is, I don't know. He says, so here's what we're going to do from now on. All the land that was given to you, he gets one half, you get the other half. And I don't want to see you anymore. That's essentially what David is saying to Mephibosheth now. And so Mephibosheth said to the king, verse 30, yea, let him take all of it. For as much as my Lord, the King is come again in peace unto his own house. He says, listen, I don't care about land. I don't care about even sitting at your table. He says, I just want to be heard. He says, he can have 
all of the land and the whole thing, and I don't really care uh, what, what you decide. I'm glad that you're back. I, I, I hate this part for Mephibosheth. I really do. Because he doesn't win. He doesn't really get what he wants. He doesn't get what he deserves. You know, the, the implication in the text is that he's telling the truth, but David can't figure it out. So David just says, you guys just split the land. This is, I just lost my son. I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm a, I'm a leader, but I don't want to deal with this right now. Uh, so just go. He gets his day in court. He pleads his case, but he doesn't get the outcome that he wants in the whole thing. And, and here's the bad news about life in this world. The bad news is that justice isn't always served. Sometimes in this world, it's just not going to work out rightly. Things aren't, aren't going to happen. That's the bad news. The, the, the fair thing isn't always going to be the thing. Here's the good news. Is that in the kingdom of God, we have a king who is wiser than David, who knows all things, and one day, every single thing will be sorted out absolutely perfectly and all truth will be known. So though in this world sometimes things are misjudged, mishandled, and outcomes are wrong, in eternity when we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he plays the tape of everything that happened, all truth will be known and all things will be set right. I have, I have met with and spoken to divorced people that are righteous in what happened in the breakup of the marriage, but their kids think that they're guilty, but they won't defend themselves because they don't want to affect the relationship that their kids have with either or with the other parent or with themselves. And so they hold on to it, even though they could speak something for the sake of someone else's well-being. I have talked with, met with, know personally, people that have been burned in churches, but they suffer in silence and they don't say what happened, not because they don't want justice, but because just telling their story is going to wound the faith of someone else and cause them to not be able to hear the truth of the word. So they choose to endure the grief of what happened to them for the sake of seeing somebody else grow strong enough in their faith to understand that things get messy in this world and not everything works out right. In my own life, I have been misjudged concerning things that I have been accused of or people have said about me, and there's no possible way for me to make it right or to produce I don't know, a turn of someone's mind concerning the things that have been said. There's nothing I can do. And, and secretly, there's a lot of things that someday I can't wait for the tape to be played in heaven. Because all, I'm just, wait, that wasn't true? Or you really, you weren't, or this whole thing? And, and, you know, you get it. On the other hand, there are also things that I have been given the benefit of the doubt for, and I'm guilty. And that's going to be there too. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just going to be like, can we just not play tapes? I'm good with people just thinking what they want. Let's just move on to this whole streets of gold. I'm good. Let's, let's go forward. Listen, we're going to a kingdom where things are going to be set right. Here, not so much, all right? But understand, this whole thing, 
When you're a leader, you're going to have to deal with things like this. It's just the bottom line. You're going to have shimmy eyes that curse and then backtrack. You're going to have conflicts that you don't care about while you're deeply grieving over the loss of life in someone. Someone's going to come to you and say, like, I want land and I want pie. And, you know, and it's just part of it. It's just what happens, okay? That's what happens when you lead. Okay, we're going way too slow. Number three is that you've got to reward and recognize the good. In verse 31, we meet a man whose name is Barzillai. In fact, we already met him. But it says that Barzillai, the Gileadite, came down from Rogalim, and he went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. And it says that Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king of sustenance while he laid at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. He was a rich man. And the king said unto Barzillai, come thou over with me, and I will feed you with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said to the king, how long do I have to live that I should go with the king unto Jerusalem? Okay, uh, snapshot number three is that you need to reward and recognize the good. If you're a leader, you need to reward and recognize what's good. This man, Barzillai, is not from Judah. He is from Israel, okay? The trend amongst the Israelites was to follow Absalom. But Barzillai said, that's not what's right. I'm going to stick with David. Here's what happened. Everyone in Israel was saying, if you're an Israelite, you need to have an ILM banner posted in your, your lawn. Israeli lives matter. If you're one of us, you need to have an ILM banner in your, and if you, and if you don't have one, and Barzillai was the kind of guy that said, listen, I know who I am and I know where I descended from and I know what kind of blood runs through my veins, but right is right. And God chose David. So if all of you want to rise up against me and tear my house down, fine, but I know what's right. And I believe God chose David. I'm going to stick with David. And so he takes his money, his food, his resources, and he says, come with me. We're going to help David during this time. And so he does that. And now David looks at this old man and he says, hey, listen, you're going you're gonna to suffer some flack for what you did in the position that you took. Why don't you come and you can dwell with me and you can eat at my table continually. And essentially what Barzillai says is he says, listen, I appreciate that. He says, but I'm 80 years old, but I'm well capable of taking care of myself. And I don't need anything that I could get from you. He says, but here's what I would ask for, Barzillai says. Take this guy, Chimham. You can read this. I'm not going to go through all the verses. And you give him what you said you're going to give me. And let him dwell continually at your table. He needs it more than I do. I don't know if that was his son or just someone that he knew, but he doesn't take the honor for himself. He gives it now to this guy, uh, Chimham. And David says, okay, you've asked for it. I'm going to uh, give it to you. Here's the point in the principle is that for a leader, it's very easy to overlook the faithful loyalist. To say, ah, well, it just happened and I've got other things to worry about and they're just always there. Don't take for granted the people that stand with you. Don't take for granted the child that doesn't give you any problems. Don't take for granted the employee that just shows up every day and just does quietly what they're supposed to do. Heap honor on that person because they deserve it and they need it. And it's something that it's easy for a leader to overlook. Number four, we get it in verse 40. Okay. It's, hey leader, 
fix this. Okay, here's a broken egg. Put it back together. (laughs) All the king's horses and all the king's men. Watch this. It says, so the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and the people of Judah conducted the king and also half the people of Israel. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king, and they said to the king, why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and have brought the king and his household and all of David's men with him over Jordan? And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our family. Wherefore then are you angry for this matter? For we, or have we eaten at all of the king's cost? He's not paying for us or have, 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 have he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, well, we have 10 parts in the king and, and we have also more right in David than you. Why then did you despise us that our advice should not be first had in bringing back our king? And the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Here's what's happening. Is that David's on his way back and one group, the 10 tribes, they come in and they start saying, why is our name second on the banner? Because we're reading here, you know, the program and, and it says Judah and then it says Israel. And it was our idea first. We thought of it first. We're bigger. We have more money to put into this whole ceremony. Why are we second on the list? And the men of Judah said, we're his family, we're his tribe, we went with him, and we brought him back. And that's just the way it is. And I love the conclusion. It says that the words of the men of Judah were louder than the words of the men of Israel. Do you know who won? The person who shouted the loudest. That's who won. Has anything really changed? <laughs> you know? Listen, you are never... No one is ever going to fix the race problem. Do you understand that? It is never, ever going to go away. Even if it's glazed over and becomes a non-issue for a generation or two, it's always going to come back. And no one is ever going to fix it. That doesn't mean you don't try, and David does, but it's just not going to happen. And all of these little things... The social justice issues, they're not going away. They're just here. We are champions for the causes. Micah 6, 8, it says that we're to love mercy and do justly and to walk humbly with our God. That's our call, but they're not going to go away. And you know who wins oftentimes? It's the person who talks the loudest, you know, and we are going to be, don't, doesn't it happen in our homes? Our kids, they're like, I was touching that first, and I want the green crayon, and I want, and we're going like, I don't care about a green crayon, you know. Yeah, we talk the loudest and put an end to the argument, you know. It's just the way it is, and we're going to have to deal with it. we got to fix it, even if we don't want to. Uh, man, we are so out of time, and I told you we would get through these things, and we're just not going to. dilemma time. How many want to revisit this next week? I mean, the choices are that we're ending. Okay. I'm not going to keep talking. All right. So here's your choices. We can either revisit this next week and finish the, you know, the snapshots and go through it, or we can just pick up in chapter 22. All right. It's going to be one or the other, you know, cause I know 
you know, half of us are like, why are we talking about being leaders, you know? <laughs> and the other half is like, this is awesome. <laughs> All right. All right, we're going to revisit. <laughs> we have one, two, three more. All right. <laughs> we'll get, I'm going to tell you what they are, but you can read ahead and you can, you can tremble at the prospect of leadership at the level that David is at because it just gets harder for him as he goes. Here's the good news, is that when God calls us to lead, he comes under the yoke of leadership with us. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And every level of leadership, from the smallest that we have when we're young to those that we grow into when we're old, they are a burden and have a burden that come with them. And yet God says to us that if you will put your trust in me, then you will find that I'm the one that called you to this position and I'm the one that can equip you in this position and I will walk with you in it. And the Bible says that he has been made unto us wisdom and understanding and knowledge and righteousness and redemption. So he's the one that comes alongside and our part in it is to embrace what we've been called to do, to grow, to trust, and to walk. So Father, we just thank you tonight, Lord, as we <laughs> look at these things and, uh, and, and it's so incredibly interesting to see how you've laid it out in your word. And we just want to say to you tonight, Lord, that we receive everything that you have called us into. And we would pray, Lord, that you would lead us very carefully, that you would teach us to trust you unconditionally, and that we would follow you very closely, especially in these times. I pray for every parent that's here in this room, that you would give them the wisdom to lead their families. I pray for every husband and wife, that you would help them, Lord, to walk under the yoke with you. I pray for every person, Lord, right now, that in this room is struggling with some form of fear or anxiety or worry about the things that are happening in our world. I pray, Lord, that you would give perspective. I pray that you would give faith. I pray that you would give favor and confidence. I pray that you would give wisdom and that you would give very careful leading and that not one, not one would lose something that you've given to them, nor would they have to do something that they feel against their convictions that they would have to do. I pray that you in your power would show yourself greater than anything, power, principality, law, edict, or governor of this world. And so we put ourselves under your leadership. And we thank you, Lord, that you have the power and the ability to be God. We put our trust in you. We declare our faith in you. And we ask you to lead us as we lead others. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, 
learn, and live the way of Jesus.